Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Well, hi, Linda Iyer. Are you there? I'm here. Are you there? I'm outside. Where are you? Oh, I'm inside. At least we're close in proximity this week. That's good. <laughs> and we're not on the road, but... Isn't it nice to not be on the road? We're here at our house in Park City, Utah. I'm sitting outside looking up at a mountain, and you're sitting inside looking at what? I'm looking at my messy desk, which Uh-oh. I'm thinking, wow, this needs to be organized. Um, we've been over our heads trying. We just sent our last child home after being ha- being inundated, which we love, um, with kids since the last week of June. So for our fa- for our family reunion. But what we've been doing lately, of course, is um, catching up. No, no, planning <laughs> a wedding. Come on. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I thought you were going into the subject of the day. No, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We are over our heads with a wedding. Honestly, it is just uh, wild. This is our last wedding unless... It's our second second to last wedding. We're honest with our listeners. This is our youngest daughter, our eighth marriage in the family. We're so thrilled about she and her fiancé, but our oldest son... Still holding out, but we have high hopes for him. We do. And um, I've come to grips with if he doesn't, he's doing a magnificent job with life. So no, he will. I, I know. I he know. Will. In fact, you... as a result of this very show, we'll probably be flooded with people who know just the right woman for our son, our <laughs> oldest son. <laughs> That's true. Every time we mention it, they say, oh, I know somebody, I know somebody, but he's so tired of long-distance relationships, and he lives in Gilbert, Arizona. So Yeah, but you know, we wrote it. We actually... Somewhat tongue-in-cheek, we wrote a recent newspaper column on the virtues of arranged marriages, and boy, did we whip up some religious frenzy out there. (laughs) (laughs) Not too many people. When you just say arranged marriage, it doesn't connote a very good image. But in some parts of the world, I might just quickly say, arranged marriage is a wonderful thing, and the way it's done is that the two families get together they like each other, they have a lot in common, and then they introduce their son and daughter, and the son and daughter have six months to try it out and see, uh, just date a little, see each other, get to know each other, and then say yay or nay. So it's a pretty cool way to go. Uh, actually, think? actually, I think they email each other, honey. I don't well, first, really first of all. It depends on where they live. I mean, we were just in Abu Dhabi, and we met the most interesting couples. Um, all were married. All seemed to be happy marriages. All were arranged marriages. Well, and many were educated in the West, Ivy League schools and so on, and they defend the whole idea of their concept of arranged marriage. So I'm telling you, I'm all for it. I'm ready, but I don't know. Uh, well, we I can't think, get our son to cooperate. I think we should give our kids a certain amount of time, and if they haven't found the right one, we should step in proactively. What do you think? Of course that's what you think. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, sorry for that little delay, but let us tell you one interesting thing, loyal listeners. We... This is the first month in five years that we have not had to be on the road doing speaking and presenting and so on. We have been, we have saved August without any engagements, and the main reason is that we have a brand new book coming out at the end of the month, and we've been trying to get 
everything in place for this book. We've been trying to sort of pave the way for it so that it does well, and we're we're delighted this week that it has already reached number two on the Amazon category of family and parent, or excuse me, marriage and parenting books, even though it hasn't been released yet. Now you may say, how's that possible? Well, it's possible on the strength of pre-orders. A lot of people have been pre-ordering this book, and we think we know why, because it's a timely book. It's something that the world needs to think a little more about, and the name is? The Turning. Why the Family Matters and What the World Can Do About It. Why the State of the Family Matters and What the World Can Do About It. Now, that's that's probably not, you know, we, we maybe should have given it a more catchy title, Linda, like Save Your Family in Five Easy Steps or um, <laughs> How to Avoid the People that Are Trying to Destroy Your Family. <clears throat> but we we went with the sweeping title because it is based on our travels in 45 countries, trying to see our families doing better in some places than others. And, of course, there are variations, but the bottom line is the natural, traditional husband-wife nuclear family is in a lot of trouble pretty much everywhere in the developed world. It really is, and I think it is a catchy title. It's just The Turning. That's as easy and snappy as you can get. I mean, the first half of the book is The Turning Away, and as I must admit, it's kind of depressing. We've had people helping us with research. We're so grateful for that, and we've done a lot on our own. And it is a very scary situation. It's so much worse than we thought it was going to be. I think we mentioned that in the last show. Well, the thing is, we uh, the book is not based on statistics. It's based on our personal observations over the last couple of decades and our travels. But in order to back up our observations, we've had a lot of research being done. And like you say, Linda, the results... When they come in, when the, when the studies come in, and when we look at the results, they really they're worse than we thought in many ways, uh, and and the trends are moving faster than we thought. The trends, essentially, away from marriage and toward cohabitation, toward chosen singleness, toward chosen childlessness, toward um, very limited families, toward having a dog instead of a child, all kinds of movement and unfortunately none of the movement toward stronger basic traditional natural families everything moving away and nothing toward it wow you know it's just uh, it's so sad because one of the uh, statistics we found was that over half of the women in England said they would rather have a new house than to have a child and that is really sad because when we lived in England, we lived there for th- three years and went back for another year, it really was so delightful because everyone was so delighted by our children, by any child. Maybe that's why, because they didn't have many around. But it was so interesting because they truly, dearly loved children. But it is so true that so many now are deciding, nope, I'd, I'd rather have a house. I'd rather not be bothered. I'd rather not be cumbered. And part of it is because the media is telling them it costs $400,000 to raise a child, and they're just thinking, no, 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 I, there's no way. Which is sheer baloney, by the way. Yeah. and um, Otherwise, all nine of our children would be dead. 
that's true. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't be here if that was really true. Yeah. But anyway, it really is sad that they're scaring people out of having families and avoiding responsibility that comes along with it, but also missing out on all the joy. Um, I have a dear friend who has, has such a hard family life. She has a child with a syndrome, another child who thinks she can't do anything right no matter what she does. She's living with her father. Her father's living with her who um, needs some teeth and doesn't want, doesn't want them and 95 and can't hear very well and has Alzheimer's. And even at that, she said, you know, I cannot imagine my life without a family. She said, I really didn't think I would have a family, but now I have this family, and even though there are problems, this is a mixed marriage, their oldest child is Down syndrome, and she said, I would not have had anything in my life if I hadn't had my family. I just, I almost missed it. Well, let me let me jump in and, and, and hasten to add for both of us that we certainly are not saying that there's one formula for every person and that everyone should anxiously have children and have a family oh. and then follow some magical pattern but Absolutely. but we are but we are simply and in fact let me make a couple of clarifications we we understand that all people have different situations and that no one should create a formula for anyone However, the statistics, the broad look, the the macro view is telling us that more and more and more people are choosing to go directions away from family. And that, of course, will lead to all kinds of economic and demographic problems. This is not a book preaching about the morality of having children or the morality of making commitments or taking responsibility or sacrificing, although many people believe that those things come into play. But this is a book about the net effect economically and demographically of fewer and fewer children, fewer and fewer marriages, less and less commitment. And and frankly, it doesn't take a genius to to sort of extend the trends and, and look at the inverted pyramid of fewer and fewer workers and more and more elderly people trying to get by on welfare being paid in by less and less people in the workforce those things are pretty obvious but they're but the trends in those directions are very very steep and our concern is that the world hasn't really woken up to it in fact it's amazing to us that you still hear people speaking of the fact that those who don't have children are actually making a wonderful contribution to society because, after all, this planet's overpopulated, and uh, by not having children, it makes more resources for other people. Well, here's the bottom line. That is old, old arguments because what's happened today is that more than half of the countries in the world, 116 out of 224 countries to be exact, have a declining population. In other words, the birth rate among women is less than replacement value. And so the danger is not overpopulation. The danger is not having enough workforce to keep the country going. These are obviously developed countries. There's still an overpopulation problem in parts of Africa and India and certain other places, although even in those countries, the trends are down, down, down. Some African countries that had a birth rate per woman of six just five years ago are now down below three. And, 
and I have to add that we were just in Singapore a couple of months ago, and um, what we found there is that the birth rate is 0.6, and it is so scary, and the government's realizing it's, it's ruining their economy. It, looking forward, they can't take care of their old people. They can't take care of the economy unless they have more children. So they're offering $20,000 for every child that is born in Singapore. And I guess you may have to be a citizen. There are probably some stipulations. But anyway, it's pretty amazing. Why not take amazing. a trip to Singapore and have your baby and come back with 20 grand? Absolutely. And I do have to back up just a bit, too, and say that there are so many women who would love to be married and have a family, and there are so many men that are hanging back and are not Hey, 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 let's not proactive. blame it all on men. No, you know that's true, well, though. Well, I do. But let me, oh, we're going to take a break here in just a minute. But before we do, let me introduce to you, Linda, because I've never tried this on you before, but I've been trying to think of a, of a sort of a metaphorical way to explain why we chose to write this kind of a book, because this is very different than other books. Those of you who are familiar with our writing, you probably know us mainly for sort of how-to, hands-on parenting books and family and marriage relationships book. This is not a how-to book. This is more of a why-to book. And uh, here, here's my little metaphor, Linda. I think you, you sort of have to think of what's happening in the world right now as a war. There really are two sides. And one side is basically the anti-family side. And I'm not saying the people on that side are necessarily evil, but they're essentially people who are saying, Hey, you know, let's choose to keep our options open. Let's choose to be free and, and not have commitment and not have things that tie us down and not take responsibility. And on the other side of the battle are those who are saying, let's have children and let's have a family if we can and let's uh, raise them and let's sacrifice and let's try to add to the solutions in the world by raising good kids. Now. And, well, and we'll, we, we can talk about that when we come back. It's, well, but let me give you my metaphor real fast. My metaphor is we, for, for 20 years, we've been trying to help the family side by saying, here's a parenting method, here's a technique, here's some ideas. We're giving you, we're arming you to be good parents. But we're still losing. It's still getting harder and harder and harder to be a parent. And so now we're saying, hey, let's go on the attack. Let's try to go after the forces in our society that are making it harder and harder and harder and harder to raise children and to have families. So we'll come back to that in just a minute. Now, Linda, let me hasten to say something here. Um, you, as a listener, may be one of those people like I am who can't stand to tune into something and hear some author promoting her book or his book and so on. And I, I just want to quickly clarify something. We, we see this book as sort of the tip of an iceberg, and the real iceberg is a cause. And the cause is for better, more prioritized thinking in terms of how important our families are. And to demonstrate that, or to really make sure that nobody thinks it's anything other than a cause to us, we have determined that any royalties we get from this book are going to a charity. They're going to a charity that we think will help third world children and families who really, really need a lot of help, but in maybe a little different way. 
than the families do here. But well, and and also uh, families in the U.S. I mean, there right. are some that are so needy, and we have a daughter who's now on a board of um, a bunch of wonderful women who are proactive and really trying to get mothers to involve their children in service. And, you know, those kinds of things are what we want to support because that is what's going to make our world go. Yeah, so let me let me finish my little war metaphor. I usually don't like war metaphors, but this one I think is a good one. So, so think of it this way. You know, those of you who have read some of our earlier books, most of those earlier books are really in the war metaphor trying to arm or equip the forces of the family. Good ideas, good techniques, whatever. And yet, despite that and despite the fact that many parents are working harder at their parenting than any other generation before them, it continues to get harder and harder to raise responsible kids in this world. And, and there are some culprits. There, there is opposition. There is another side to this war. And we've decided that in this book, instead of trying to help the pro-family side, we're going to go after and sort of call out some of the non pro-family side, some of the forces that are working against families, and it's surprising who they are. They're not evil people. They're not people that have some sort of a conspiracy to destroy families. They're, 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 they're institutions like banks that give too much credit and destroy families. They're institutions like big business that demand so much loyalty from their employees that people can't take care of their kids. They're culprits like, like the media that sort of feeds a constant stream of amorality and makes it harder and harder for parents to teach values to their kids. There are even culprits like education, which sometimes leaves parents out and tries to substitute for parents and teach the kids things that maybe parents should be more involved in. So we're not we're not saying parents are without blame, but we are saying that some of the social institutions, some of the larger entities within our society that used to be support mechanisms for the smallest institution of family have really lost that that aspect of themselves and in many cases are I don't want to say it's too strong a word I was going to say sabotaging families maybe they're not sabotaging families but they're substituting for families they're they're robbing the loyalty of parents from the children to to these larger institutions. And one of the things we're trying to do in this book is to say, hey, there are some things that each of you large engines of change within our society should stop doing because they're harmful to families. And there are some other things you should start doing because you have with, within your purview the power to really help parents and to support parents better so you know it's a big book in that sense we're trying to bring about social change but and you're always the one that emphasizes this linda it's not written just as a social movement book there's a lot in it about what individual parents can do to sort of stem the tide to sort of try to make their family cultures even stronger than the peer culture, the Internet culture, the media culture, and all these other cultures swirling around our children and trying to pull them away from us. You know, that is really true. I think that the hard part is keeping them out of the mainstream media that is teaching them wrong principles. 
um, it really is true that I mean kids so often come to parents and say, but but I have to go to this movie or I have to have an iPhone 5s. I am so embarrassed because I have this old four and you know things like that is is just it's destroying our families and and we suggest that the best thing parents can do when the kids start saying, but so and so, but so and so has this and that and the other, is just to very firmly use three words in our family. Sorry, but in our family, these are the television rules, these are the computer rules, these are the phone rules. You helped us set it up, and that it is important that the kids are in on it so that they have a little, some ownership. This is the best thing for you, and you may have to adjust just a little bit so that they feel like they have some input in it. But it is so important for those kids to know that your family culture is much stronger than any other culture. Well, well said, Linda, because that's, I mean, it's not an easy thing. You don't just say, well, kids live with us, so they're going to be more influenced by us than they are the world around them. Today, in today's world, it takes some work. It takes the conscious objective of saying we're going to do whatever it takes to have such a strong family culture that this is where our kids will get their identity, not from their peers, not from the media, not from the Internet. And in order to do that, like you say, you have to have rituals, you have to have traditions, you have to have, you have to say just what you said, Linda, but in our family, this is how it's done, and our family is a bigger deal to you kids than anything else. And if, if, if kids start feeling that, it actually gives them a tremendous sense of security now now wait before you go on let me just say that you have to be careful not to go over the line that you you know you have to be moderate in some things um i i'm just laughing because we have we used to have a little neighbor boy whose mother would not let him have candy or sugar of any kind so he came to our house for candy and sugar i didn't realize it was not allowed at their house obviously he didn't tell me and kids will go they'll gravitate to other things if they have these passions um we have a mom in our family who's so adamant that the kids do not get on the internet except on saturdays um, but they they just have such a passion for it. I said maybe just allow them 15 minutes a day or something so that they feel like they have a little control over it because if you get too far over the edge, uh, we have another mom who does not like prince the princess deal. She does not like it, and you should have seen her little girl go for the princess costumes this summer. At the well, reunion. I think you're right. I mean, again, it gets back to the idea that uh, – the, the two kinds of parents who tend to lose their kids are the ones on either extreme, the ones who are completely lax and laissez-faire and don't care and don't even know what their kids do, or the ones that are so strict and so restrictive that kids are forced to find the Internet or candy or whatever it is uh, somewhere other than in their home. So you make a great point, Linda. Now, let me, before we get too close to the end of the show, let me say I mentioned earlier that this book, The Turning, um, why the state of the family matters and what the world can do about it is is about to be released. It'll be released on August 26th, but it is available now for pre-order on Amazon. And rather than send you to Amazon, the nice thing I mentioned that's the tip of the iceberg. Part of the bigger part of the iceberg is a website, and it's called theturning.com. The only thing you got to remember is put a hyphen in between the and turning. So it's the hyphen turning.com. And if you go there, you'll, you'll not only find a lot of excerpts from the book and sort of a clear 
feeling of what we're trying to do, hopefully, in the book. But you'll also find a click where you can get a free sample, where you can order it at a discount, pre-order it. Or you can be on a team or you can to be help on a the team. cause. Yeah, we call it team turning. And that's really important because we need all the help we can get on this because it is a huge project. And we know so many wonderful families are so occupied in their families that they just think, oh, I don't have time to do this. But it's so important for the future of their children. Well, the way this team, I'm glad you thought of that to say team turning, Linda. When you get on the-turning.com, there's a click that says join team turning. And some really smart people are running this. It's not us, I might add, because we're not smart. But they're, they're, they're essentially saying if you join team turning, we will give you little tasks to do that you can do online that will take two minutes or less, like like something on Facebook or make it write a quick review for this page or whatever. And so there are things that you can do with two minutes a day that will actually contribute to this movement, what we hope is the beginning of a movement towards stronger families, toward turning our hearts back toward our children. So our appeal to you is don't just don't just save your own family. I mean, that's the first step, obviously, and that's the thing that should be our highest priority. But join a cause. Get involved in this turning business, turning the hearts, and there's little things you can do. Someone's thought it through for you. They'll give you some tasks. So if you want to have a quick homework assignment tonight, just go on the-turning.com and click on Join Team Turning and see if it's something, busy as you are as a parent or a grandparent, that you might want to actually be a part of. Well, we really hope so because we know that we're talking to a lot of excellent parents out there, whether you're driving, whether you're home. Um, I don't know. When do you listen to the radio? Wow. I, we have a hard time. Well, we listen to it in the car. Mostly in the yeah. car, yeah. So um, we appreciate um, BYU Radio and, and the floor of the United States. So we hope you do the very best you can to join us. Be part of our team. And we'll see you next week on Ayers on the Road. 